0: How out there are you publicly and behind the scenes talking to advertisers and telling them do not advertise on this platform? Are you doing that? We are not out there publicly or privately talking to advertisers. They will make the decisions that they want to. Frankly, it's true, we did call for a pause back in November after the acquisition. And then since then, since that initial statement, what we are doing is engaging with the management of the company, trying to help them make it better.
1: Have you had any conversations with Linda Yaccarino since this weekend? We've exchanged a,
0: text messages.
1: And what? Like, is it- look,
0: it's hard for me to understand exactly what's happening over there. I understand they have a big business problem. I mean, Elon tweeted something I didn't know that the advertising revenues down sixty okay. percent. But look, brands are big boys and girls they will make their own decisions i mean let's be clear here like this is the wealthiest man in the world running one of the most powerful media platforms on the planet we're a nonprofit here in new york so i think figuring out like who has the power in this relationship it's pretty clear to me
1: Welcome back to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It is my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. Of course, Dr. Jones is the editor of Culture Wars magazine, the author of many books, including The Dangers of Beauty, The Conflict Between Mimesis and Concupiscence in the Fine Arts. And they just released, just off the presses, currently in distribution, uh, The Holocaust Narrative, right? Just a couple days ago? Yes.
2: Uh, We launched it on Friday, and uh, we're taking orders right now
1: as we speak. So just go to culturewars.com and place the order.
2: Fidelitypress.org or culturewars.com, and it'll be the first thing to pop up, and you can place
1: your order. Okay. Well, that book, of course, is, I think, uh, uh, germane to our topic or topics tonight. Uh, The ADL uh, there's just sort of this run-in or dust-up between Elon Musk his Twitter X and the ADL and uh, Jonathan Greenblatt. I think it started uh, with a tweet. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, from from uh, Keith Woods. He's an Irish nationalist activist. Yeah. I think he was he was at I think he was at an American Renaissance conference, and it came out that um, Elon Musk had, uh, or rather, I'm sorry, the CEO or his Yacarino. I think is her name.
2: Yeah,
1: Linda Yacorino. had been in discussions or meetings with the ADL regarding, I guess, uh, curating or controlling or improving the content, as Jonathan Greenblatt would say, <laughs> improving the uh, the platform. And of course, this this smacked of uh, yet more censorship and and. Uh, sort of the underhanded uh, tactics that the ADL is sort of infamous for famous for that it denies doing and, and uh, pressuring uh, these platforms to, um, well, censor or curate material so they can control the narrative. And um, this, he tweeted, uh, I guess it was hashtag ban the ADL. Yeah, I must promoted it. And it kind of went viral or wild. And, and so now we have this sort of exposure of the anti-defamation league. This is something they... They shoot, They don't do well, and it's like Count Dracula and sunshine. It's not good that they for them if they're exposed. But I'll let you take it from there.
2: Yeah, they're they're at their best when they go behind your back and they go to some middle management guy and say, "Deplatform these people," and the guy's afraid he'll lose his job if he goes against them. Uh, but uh, Elon Musk jumped in and said, uh, the, "The ADL has been trying to destroy me ever since I." Uh, bought Twitter and he said the company has lost $22 billion in value because of the ADL's efforts and he's now thinking he may have to sue them. Well, this is big because normally it's once you receive this, it's a death sentence and generally people who receive it are not that well known. Uh, and when they're not that well-known, the ADL has carte blanche to create a false identity for them. Mm-hmm. No way of fighting back. Well, that's not the case with Elon Musk. Everybody knows who he is. He's rich and he's famous. And the government depends on him for rocket ships and uh, Starlink so that they can uh, fight the war in the Ukraine.
1: And apparently and- he has the, uh, the power to actually to limit the war because he denied... The Starlink service in the Crimea, which, in his estimation, avoided uh, what he feared to be an escalation of the war there.
2: Yeah. So he had the power to turn off Starlink. Uh, Now that's power. Uh, He also has 140 million followers on Twitter or X. Uh, So this is a, a, a significant escalation. Because you can't engage with ident- in identity theft with Elon Musk. His identity is already established among a large group of people. And so what are they going to do now? This what? is the, the conflict is now out in the open. And it's with the ADL. We know who the conflict is with. We know what it's about. And they don't like that. They always like to work in the shadows. And suddenly, you know, you put pressure on people. But... The, the, there's there's one thing that makes this possible, and that's why I wrote the book. It's called the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. It gives them Jewish privilege, and it becomes so patent. Uh, we can get into that article I, I wrote about mm-hmm. Anthony Blinken. Uh, he was it, it, so it became so patent that uh, uh, pe- people anything anything could be destroyed by invoking the, the Holocaust anything. And and the example uh, that I also I cite in the book is the Canadian trucker convoy. We now I just got another uh, uh, a, a short, a small book written by a lady in Canada who pretty much detailed how that uh, the Jews were behind the defamation of the truckers in, in Canada. There was a um, Bernie Farber uh, created this he was the head of the Canadian Jewish Congress which was an imitation of the, the AJC in America and didn't get anywhere but then in 2018 he created a new front group something like Canadians Against Hate on the Internet or some phony thing like that and uh, he was the one that uh, he discovered this anti-Semitic flyer near some truck in Ottawa Well, he <laughs> supposed to believe but then the lady looked into it it turns out it was from florida i don't know for sure i but i think it was that flyer that the goyim defense league handed out in florida saying naming jews who are the head of hollywood you know corporations stuff like that so that was enough to basically disenfranchise an entire group of people in canada that shows you the power of the the holocaust narrative and that's why i wrote that book
1: well, according to Jeff uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, rather uh, the ADL is just a nonprofit in New York going against this you know, mighty corporation. So it's basically it's it's um, David versus Goliath here, right?
2: Yeah, well, or Jonathan. No, this- <laughs> I, think, I think he. Uh, I think he. Uh, even he understands that he overplayed his hand here. This this is it's becoming a pattern here. So you know, you did in Kanye, you did in Kyrie, who it's like, it's like you're getting a lot of unfavorable publicity. And the proof that it's unfavorable was the huge reaction on Twitter. When the ban, the ADL hashtag appeared, hundreds of thousands of people jumped on, the the resentment was palpable. And it had been building up and suddenly Elon Musk's we uh, broke the dam and all this resentment poured out all over all over the Internet. It's been building for years now. Uh, the way these people treat you, they can ruin your life. Who gave these people the power to do this? Well, the better question is what gave him the power to do it? And the answer is the Holocaust.
1: Yeah, I think the uh, Holocaust and also just the sort of liberalism itself, which uh renders society vulnerable to infiltration by society doesn't believe in rest by a group that doesn't believe in reciprocity. And so they can easily infiltrate and take it over. You know, it's like liberty uh, liberty's all fine when they're infiltrating and subverting, but the moment they take over, they turn into commissars and to hell with your liberty, you know.
2: But the classic example of that is Alan Dershowitz. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a video of him talking to William F. Buckley defending deep throat as free speech. So okay, your Jews are for free speech. Oh, wait a minute, 50 years later he signs a bill standing next to Donald Trump signing a bill making it illegal to criticize Israel uh, in uh, college campuses run by the government. So yes, they're for free speech when they're out of power, they're for tolerance when they're out of power, and they're for totalitarian control once they take power. And this does not endear them to normal people. These are not these are people that have to be kept under some type of external control because they have no internal controls.
1: Because did, you, did you see that article with uh, with uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin, where Jonathan Greenblatt pretty much denies the whole business model of the ADL? He yeah. denies that they're involved in any any type of boycott or behind the scenes maneuvering, and then he kind of gives this: "Well, we did uh, uh, propose a pause in November." Well. You've been doing this at least from my study of history, at least as far back as 1913 in uh, the Leo Frank case, when uh, there was an advertising boycott that pressured the northern newspapers to um, uh, spin the story, uh, you know, the Jew- t- to promote the Jewish narrative of the Leo Frank case. So this is a tried and true method of, of, you know, this is um, what was the book? This is a, a you know, a dynamic silence that was written about by uh, Ginsburg right, in his book.
2: That's in his book, Fatal Embrace.
1: Yeah. Kind of spilled the beans there about how
2: they operate and how they silenced America firsters and uh, after war, people like that. So they've been doing it for a long time. And now uh, uh, when they get caught doing it, they try to pretend that they're not doing it. But uh, there's too much evidence against them now. So
1: I like the idea that the ADL is just a small little Yeah, how many profit organizations? It doesn't represent a a vast global power structure. (laughs) What's the the budget? You know, I don't know, but
2: it's hundreds of millions of dollars to destroy your life. Yeah, it's simple. How can we tolerate an organization whose job is to destroy the lives of uh, your fellow citizens?
1: It's particularly galling given its history, its origins, because its origins, its whole. Rey Azande, if it's it was there to cover the tracks or launder the history of Jewish criminals and also prevent uh, the general host society from holding them accountable for their transgressions. Yeah. That's that's their history. I mean it's like you know. No Dalits, right? I mean 1984.
2: He was uh, he gave the, he was given the freedom of uh, the uh what a Torches of Liberty Award by the ADL because
1: yeah, Joan Rivers gave it to him. <laughs>
2: But Ben Shapiro just chimed in and said, it's not a Jewish organization.
1: <laughs> that's right. It's a liberal organization. It's a leftist.
2: It's a leftist organization. That's that's the, the whole point of Ben Shapiro, is to dissolve the term Jew whenever it casts people like him in a bad light. Suddenly the term doesn't apply. That's not a Jewish organization. Well, it looks Jewish to me.
1: It was created by an eye breath, but it's not a Jewish organization.
2: This is crazy. <laughs> Why does anyone take Ben Shapiro seriously? Well, don't they
1: also av- advertise as an advocate for, for the Israeli state?
2: Yeah, I think they do.
1: So it's a foreign agent.
2: Foreign agent. But none of the rules apply. Yeah. We have to come to this conclusion that when it, if you're a Jew, none of the rules apply to apply to normal people. And now we're seeing that with, with Merrick Garland and the Justice Department. You know, the, it's, this is the antithesis of what we believe as Americans. There is Jewish privilege. And the ADL is there to guarantee that Jews retain Jewish privilege, that they do not have equal, they, they do not get prosecuted when they're involved in crimes. The first uh, uh, trial for Jeffrey Epstein uh, resulted in house arrest where he could, you know, have women come visit him. And the the, uh, the lawyers, it was in Florida. The lawyer's name was Krishner. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ADL gave him an award for getting Jeffrey Epstein off the hook.
1: <laughs> well, because what Jeffrey Epstein was operating was one of the ways which Jewish Jews were organized the greater Jewish organizations preserved their privilege, which is blackmail.
2: That's right. That's right. And one of the guys who learned this was uh, Hugh Hefner. And one of the things that we don't know is that Playboy was basically a Jewish operation. This is where this was an article that appeared uh, when uh, they were all going into retirement. Playboy had had its day and these guys all went down to Florida. They're all in retirement. They talked about how they ran. It was a Jew who came up with Playboy philosophy. He was the one. I forget the guy's name. It's an article that I've written and it's in uh, the Holocaust narrative if you want to read it. Mm But uh, basically, the he said, "Yeah, we we ran the whole operation. The whole idea of a Playboy philosophy was basically some Jews' idea of how to undermine the moral fabric of the United States of America when it comes to sex. That's what Playboy was there for, and that's and but Hefner was able to stay. He was the goy front man for this operation, but he was uh, stay got immunity from prosecution." Uh, basically, because he would photograph everyone who came to the Playboy Mansion and had sex there, so he was a forerunner of Jeffrey Epstein.
1: That's yeah. You ran that piece on the Playboy Mansion a few months. It was the last year, I think. I interviewed you about that. We're talking about how Hugh Hefner, you know, that mansion was sort of advertised as sort of a pleasure dome, if you will. Yeah. You know, a, uh, a and in reality, he ruled it. You know, with an iron rod. Girls had to be in by nine. PM and they were drug mules for them. It was, it was wired for audiovisual and, uh, you know, like anything, a, a palace of sex, sexual liberation was actually in a, in a, a prison for these girls. Yeah.
2: Right. That's right. It proves the thesis of libido dominandi that sexual liberation is always a form of control and it was totalitarian control. And I think that's, it was uh, Hefner's, uh, you know, what, Schönheit macht frei. It was the 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 Nazi concentration camp, except that. Uh, but the, even then, the Nazi. If you the, if you look into the history of Holocaust porn, which I do, that was a love camp, forty seven or one of those those things.
1: Well, it, Elsa, she uh, uh, the, she wolf of the SS or something was that
2: not, <laughs> part of it? And I think the reason it was part of it is because. The concentration camp, I'm saying their vision of the concentration camp, Hollywood's vision of the concentration camp, was a place where the moral order got suspended. It was no longer in play. Yes. And uh, so that was was kind of, uh, oh, great, great. And that's kind of the the theme of these these movies, a whole genre, Holocaust porn, movies that came out largely uh, through
1: the 70s. Uh, yeah a lot of the the, the decency standards on television were, were suspended for the benefit of the holocaust narrative the first i remember was in 1978 i think it was cbs that ran holocaust and there was um a nudity on television yeah and it was okay because it was the holocaust and of course years later you had the television debut of uh schindler's list right where all the rules were suspended i mean it just simply wasn't a cut and there is actually a uh a sex scene in there, which is completely unnecessary, of course. That wasn't even cut. And I think I mentioned it to you at the time. (laughs) I was listening to Howard Stern, and he goes, because he had had some run-in with the FCC because of his material, and he was a little, I guess, bitter that, you know, Spearberg was able to get away with this. He says, if you just want to show nudity on television, just kill a few Jews.
2: (laughs) Why didn't he? He should have just invoked the Holocaust, and he could have gotten away with everything. Yes, Whole point of the holocaust it gives it creates jewish privilege jews can get away with anything as long as they invoke the holocaust mm-hmm. the, you know canada classic example where you have a guy Morgan uh, morgenthaler henry morgenthaler a jew who was promoting had a string of abortion clinics when it was illegal to have an abortion and the Canadian police couldn't touch him because every time they got near him, he'd roll up his sleeve and show the, the tattoo that he got in Auschwitz. He's, he's even in a debate with uh, Bernard Nathanson. So too, J- Nathanson had gone against uh, abortion at that point. It's, it's on uh, YouTube and Morgenthau is saying, well, I can do abortion because I was in Auschwitz. It, it legitimatizes anything.
1: We can't that doesn't have- even make any sense though Look. it's like, <laughs> it's like no, I, was the, I was in the i was at auschwitz so i can abort unborn children i don't
2: say what he says yeah. toller says it i mean I, I i you don't have to make sense in order to say something and he said well, yeah that and it shows the complete irrationality of this t- taboo and also the purpose that it serves which is basically destroying uh any liberty that you might have like for the to freedom of speech freedom to assemble all these liberties are uh footnoted now uh and at the footnote it always says unless you're a jew you know you cannot do this unless you're a jew or you have the right to free speech uh unless a jew objects and calls you an anti-Semite, and at that point your rights evaporate, and now your civil rights as well. So we, you know, Canada is basically they tell the story of a guy who was basically fingered by this this uh, this Jewish front operation called, uh, you know, Canadians Against Hate on the internet, uh, and his life was ruined uh, because the Jews went after him, and the Cana the organizations, the police organizations, who were supposed to investigate this thing and see if there's any basis for it simply threw up their hands. As soon as the Jew is involved, all of the the rule of law goes out the window. It's that simple. We can't tolerate this anymore. We have to stop this because it's getting too dangerous. And that, that brings us to Anthony Blinken.
1: Yes. You wrote this article in the September edition of culture wars. Uh, Anthony Bleakin is a Holocaust liar. Now, you make the distinction between a Holocaust denier and a Holocaust liar. And if you're going to have laws or punishment or sanctions against so-called Holocaust deniers or those who express skepticism or nuance the issue, uh, you must have also laws against Holocaust liars because they're also distorting. The historic record for their benefit or whatever. But um yeah, so this this article, Anthony Blinken, it's a story about a stepfather, right? A very heartwarming story. It makes me feel proud to be an American when I hear it.
2: There wasn't there wasn't a dry eye in the audience <laughs> when I told that story. So the story is uh so what this is the the background is that the United States government has just passed the most uh, comprehensive campaign to fight anti-Semitism in the history of the United States of America. Uh, and it was largely because the Biden administration has been taken over by 450 Jews uh, who basically determine what's going on. The, the The interesting thing now is that both the New York Times and the uh, Washington Post have come out and said that uh, Biden should not run. Now, mm-hmm. the, Washington, the Washington Post article is... By David Ignatius, who has always been a mouthpiece of the CIA. Uh, but what he's saying is if you take into account who's really running the Biden administration, I think that this is a uh, an attack on the Jews. Ignatius is not a Jew. He tra- his mother traces her ancestry back to Cotton Mather. I think he represents the classic foundation of the uh, CIA, which was the WASP League. He had to go. Yeah. To- in order to get into the Yeah, all Skull and Bones, OSS and all
1: that, yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. Oh so social.
2: What I think he's saying is that basically the CIA has awakened to the fact that the Jews are destroying the American Empire. And they're not happy because that's what they do. They maintain the American Empire. And so I think he's selling a signal that uh it's time for the Jews to back off. And they're gonna do it by basically getting rid of biden well, they're, that's, they're not going to do that without a fight. But, uh, but what, I'm, what I'm saying here is that this is not the first time this has happened. We, I also, in the book, I also cover the Morgenthau plan, which was basically another instance of a Jew taking over and he's going to punish Germany. And all the other Jews just rushed back to Germany and they ran away with their tails between their leg in the 1930s. And now, probably because they're ashamed of their own cowardice, they come back and they're determined to wreak vengeance on the prostrate German people, the defenseless German people. Seventy percent of the lawyers at the Nuremberg trial were Jews, and so you have the Morgenthau plan. But at this point, the the WASP elite that did actually exist then said, "Wait a minute, this is this we can't let this happen," and they basically kicked Morgenthau and his plan out and replaced it with the Marshall plan. I obviously the WASP elite is much weaker now than it was then. But something like this is going to have to happen, because the situation is out of control. You can't put something like this important into the hands of a guy like Anthony Blinken. So, the, so the 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 more the the Jews come up with this plan that is completely preposterous. You know, every government agency has to come up with a plan to fight anti-Semitism, including the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Forestry Service. Mm-hmm.
1: There are so, all those anti Semites there out in the woods. Yeah, you'll be reminded of the Holocaust when you're out in Yosemite Park or something. Yeah,
2: yeah something. What's that got to everything? This You put Debbie Lipshot, Debbie Lipshot was in charge of this project, and she's the lady who created Holocaust in Ireland. Her, her great claim to fame was winning the libel lawsuit against David Irving. She hasn't done any scholarship whatsoever, which means she's the ideal candidate for an endowed chair at Emory University. Uh, And so she was in charge of this. And, you know, it's going to be ridiculous if she's in charge. Uh, But in order to give it, put wind in the sails of this preposterous project, Anthony Blinken shows up. He's doing a video for the World Jewish Congress puts out this video. And there's he talking about my father-in-law. My father-in-law was uh, spent time in a concentration camp. And at this point, the story becomes complicated because it breaks down to about five different stories involving five different concentration camps. But basically, the heart of the story is that he's hiding in the woods in Bavaria and he hears this tank and he looks up and he realizes it's not a German tank. It's got a white star. It's an American tank. So he runs over and he falls down on his knees and he says that he says, the, the, the patch opens and there's a black driver of the tank.
1: <laughs> and he, stop laughing. This is serious. Just then, yeah, I, I called BS on this. <laughs> so, anyway, he's and then the. He, oh, the Black Jewish Alliance, even in Europe. Black,
2: black, falls, Pizar falls down on his knees and says, God bless America. And then Blinken says, and that blank, black tank driver that picked him up. From, and it brought him into the tank, into America, and into freedom. And then you can hear the applause. Uh, it's just such a great story, isn't it?
1: <laughs> no, was awesome. he was he assisted on his way by a pack of wolves? <laughs> no, wait a minute. Now, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm confusing stories. I'm, I'm confusing sorry. narratives here. Okay. Uh, so this one... Uh, <laughs> it's and, and, like, uh, did he pay with diamonds that he defecated? No, <laughs> Now stop it! Now you, you've got to take this here. <laughs> <seriously>. I'm <laughs>
2: confusing the stories. I'm sorry. Class is getting out of control here. We're not there uh... anyway. So, okay, I'll,
1: I'll shut up. I'm sorry.
2: Okay, so, <laughs> so this is this is a heartwarming story. It's but they tried it before. This is not the first time they tried this. In 1992, uh, National Bro- Public Broadcasting did a documentary about. The Black Tank Battalion. There was a Black P- Tank Battalion, the 761st Negro Tank Battalion, and how they rescued uh, the Jews at Dachau. Well, it's, an, a, a, it's a heartwarming story, but it could not have happened because uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar ended up writing a book about the tank battalion, and he was, they never came. They never got to Dachau, which is a suburb of Munich. The closest they got was Regensburg, and they were headed to, off to Austria at that point. And uh, the time uh, Dachau was liberated, April 29th, and at that point, the tank battalion had left Regensburg and was heading into Austria. That's a hundred. Uh, that's a hundred. Uh, hundred miles away, and and Pen. our uh, um, story is that he was in the woods in Penzing which is a town in Bavaria, which is even farther away from Regensburg and farther away from, uh, from Munich. So it turns out that the closest the tank battalion ever came to Pizar was 170 miles away. Well, you, that's not going to work. Why are you ruining such a good story with these details? I mean,
1: this is... It's...
2: I, I can't help my... Actually, the person, the people ruined it the first time around when it was the Dachau story, the liberation of Dachau. It turns out it was the American Jewish committee that, that reigned on their parade. They were the ones that brought it up back then. So why did this happen? Why was this this story made? Well, because at that point uh, in 1992, the Jewish Messiah was passing through Brooklyn on his motorcade. And when you're the Messiah, you don't have to pay it. You don't have to follow traffic laws. So they ran a red light and they killed two black children. And this immediately set off riots in Crown Heights.
1: Oh yeah, so that's the context of the story. They're trying that's to
2: yeah. context, and everyone's upset because look, the 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 Jews have been trying to you know the A.D.L. has been involved with this uh, for a long time. The N.A.A.C.P. was basically founded to recruit Negroes to become revolutionaries to overthrow the regime in in the South. Uh, so they've been at this for a long time, and the it took a serious hit. The Black Jewish Alliance took a serious hit and so what we need is this heartwarming story that will bring bring blacks and jews back together again and it did until the ajc blew the whistle and then everybody was embarrassed and they all pretended that it never happened and it disappeared so what is blinken thinking he brought the same story back as if to pretending that no one was going to notice that it already blew up in their faces in 1992 this is chutzpah. This is a man who believes the truth is the opinion of the powerful and that he's a powerful guy who can basically stop every conversation by walking into a room and saying, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. So it was it, it, it never happened. It never happened. Now, is Blinken think he's going to get away with this? Well, I think he does. I think that's why he did it.
1: Well, a lot of these stories, people, they get acknowledged as being false, just like, you know, uh, the the various books that have been written. The You know, uh, was it The Painted Bird? that Oprah, Was it Oprah Winfrey that promoted that?
2: Actually, no. That was before her time. That was uh, the 60s. It was okay. The, it was The New York Times that promoted The
1: Painted Bird. Okay. What was the book that Oprah Winfrey promoted
2: that ended up being false? That was the one about the Rosenblatt's. The oh, the
1: couple, the couple, right? That met the with couple.
2: They, she threw an apple over the fence.
1: That's right. The apple. And then it then he just by
2: chance they meet on Coney. Island. Oh, you're the lady that threw the apple. <laughs> there was, she Oprah brought them on. There wasn't a dry eye in the audience there. This is so touching. And then it turns out it didn't happen. It never could have happened. And at that point, Mr. Rosenblatt says, Well, it was my truth
1: that's right and uh, uh was, was what Kerminsky was really uh, he had a he wasn't a jew right he was a
2: uh... well that was that was another uh, hoax yeah uh, a, a guy by the name of uh, benjamin Vilkomirski claimed to have been born as a jew a, 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 a in latvia uh and then had would taken to the children's concentration camp uh, and uh, he wrote a book called Fragments about that's Hitler. what it is. I'm sorry, I'm confusing my BS <laughs> Holocaust. <childhood memory. laughs> yeah, uh, this is Fragments. this. I cover this in the book too. Now, yeah. one of the interesting things about these Holocaust narratives is they generally are told by children from the child's point of view, like Elie Wiesel's Night is a classic example of you know. And then the, it's, there's always these things like I saw the I saw the the Nazi soldiers throwing Jewish babies into the flaming pits? Or was I dreaming? Well, you kind of let yourself off the hook there. Uh, But if you say that there were no flaming pits in Auschwitz, you're a Holocaust denier.
1: Yeah, but night is sort of Holocaust canon. They, they, They make students read it, even Catholic schools read it, right?
2: Four of my grandchildren went to a Catholic high school in Detroit, and all four had to read that book atheist cells tonight and one of them had to read it twice this is outrageous and the conclusion of the book is God is dead right well it's God died in Auschwitz yeah. so you're teaching Catholic children to become atheists by 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 reading this book this is outrageous and what one of so basically it's a narrative and after a while the narrative writes itself you know and then so so Debbie Lipstadt jumps in and she creates this thing called Holocaust denial. Well, wait a minute. Is it Holocaust denial to say that Benjamin Vilkomirski wasn't a Jew from Latvia, that he was basically a, a, a goy from Switzerland? Well then Ed Bradley's a Holocaust denier because he exposed this on 60 Minutes. Why isn't Ed Bradley being prosecuted the next time he goes to Germany? He's a Holocaust denier. Or the the other thing uh you realize is uh you know, so AD Wiesel basically hijacked the narrative. Didn't do it alone. Francois Moriak, the Nobel Prize winner, uh, took Elie Wiesel's Yiddish memoir, On Die Welt Hat Geschwiegen, and eliminated all the nasty parts about raping German girls, and then translated it into elegant French, and that was released in '58 at the crucial turning point when Pius XII died.
1: And that hijacked the narrative. And there are no gas chambers mentioned in that volume, right?
2: No, there's not a gas chamber. It's flaming pits. Well, where'd was... they come from then? <laughs> from the mind of Ailey Wiesel, obviously.
1: But maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe he was dreaming. Maybe they were, they were dreaming when... You
2: know. I, I, I saw those flaming pits, or was I dreaming? It was a nightmare. Yeah. So basically, no, that was well, that makes sense. You're going to talk about Holocaust. I think this is where the whole word Holocaust got started. It's the Greek word for being burnt whole. Well, that flaming pits is obviously something that would be burning. But then, unfortunately, reality is always catching up with this narrative. So the the Americans are flying over Auschwitz and they're taking aerial photos at the time when Elie Wiesel was there and there are no flaming pits. We can prove it. And at that point, the narrative had to shift, and it shifted to gas chambers. There's not a gas chamber at all in night. They don't exist at the time of night. They come into existence afterward, and then they have their day. And then there's this whole um, uh, literature of uh, Holocaust research done by people who are understand what it needs to take to use poison gas to kill people. And they do the research and they claim that it could not have happened in these buildings. And then it came down to a trial because the Canadians were always eager to do the Jews bidding, whatever it is.
1: Oh, this was the Ernst Sundl trial,
2: right? Right. Ernst, they put Ernst Sundel on trial in the 1980s. And at that point, uh, Ralph Hilberg had to admit that there was no proof of any final solution no proof of anything he had to back down from all his claims so at that point the the narrative had to change again that was the gas chamber narrative now if you deny that there were gas chambers in uh, auschwitz you can go to jail uh but there's no proof that there were any that with the soviets took came and occupied auschwitz they were the ones who liberated auschwitz Amy wiesel had the opportunity to stay with the nazis or be liberated by the Soviets, and he chose to stay with the Nazis, and he retreated to Bergen-Belsen. Well, I'll figure that one out. But anyway, the Germans shut it. Uh, I'm sorry, the Russians, the Soviets shut it down, uh, and then reconstructed the place as if there were there were gas chambers. Uh, but then that the Zundo trial cast doubt on that, and so we have another change, and this one is uh, Schindler's List. So the, the obligatory part of Schindler's List is, ladies, take your clothes off, because that's part of the genre of Holocaust porn, which is really what uh, Spielberg was operating in. So the naked ladies go into the shower room, and guess what comes out of the shower? Ooh,
1: hot, hot, water. hot water. Hot water. Hot water. I mean, that's that takes energy. That's nice of the Germans. <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. That makes Steven Spielberg
2: a Holocaust denier because yeah. what's supposed to come out of those shower heads is poison gas.
1: So I, you... remember, I remember watching it in the theater in 1993 when it came out and being surprised that that scene. Everyone knew what the narrative was. Oh, no, the showers. And there they are. Uh, you're just taking a shower.
2: <laughs> well, why did he do that?
1: Yeah. Steven Spielberg
2: is a Holocaust denier. According to Debbie Lipstadt, he's a Holocaust denier. So next time he shows up in Germany or Italy on his yacht, he can uh, be arrested for Holocaust denial, except that these rules don't apply to people like Steven Spielberg. So I'm, I'm saying that the narrative is constructed over this period of time. There's all this backtracking and, uh, you know, putting things down the memory hole. Then they have a, a, a documentary, one of these outrageous you know, I don't know whether it was Netflix, but one of those operations, there's something called Hunters. And there is the first scene in Hunters is the lady, you know, this fat lady takes off her clothes and she goes into the shower up oh, and gas coming out of the shower this time. Wait a minute. Spielberg said it was water. Now we're back to gas here. You know, how did you how did you rig up this gas to in this lady's apartment? No, no one goes into that. Because it's 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 whatever. wasn't she
1: like a German It was retribution or something?
2: Yeah, it was basically there yeah. were Nazis uh, ready to it's in the 1970s are Nazis who were ready to take over the United States government in 1970. Thank God we have Al Pacino playing some Jew who's going to murder them all before they can do that. It, the, it's,
1: the, the Merchant of Venice is now a Nazi
2: hunter. <laughs> yeah. It's a disgusting piece yeah. of uh, revenge porn.
1: And hate speech. This is real hate speech. Well, I mean, there's a lot of this the stuff, uh, you know, whether it comes out the the stories, the narratives don't hold water under you know, they don't uh, stand up to scrutiny, you know, whether it's the gas chambers, the fire pits, uh uh you know, the, the lampshades, the shrunken heads, the, the uh cigarette this uh ashtrays made out of human pelvises, these things. Uh but nevertheless you hear it in popular mind that these things are you still hear people refer to lampshades and gas chambers even though that these things have been long since repudiated but in the public mind they haven't been because it's it's the na- the meme of the narrative is out there the mind virus is out there which that's a function of the adl and also the organized jewish community's ability to control the narrative and suppress any meaningful debate in these things and that's what De- that's sort or of deborah Lipstadt's mission was in the, in the late 90s was to shut down any debate or scrutiny of these issues.
2: So Lipstadt's uh, uh, coming out with uh, Holocaust denial is the same time that Spielberg did the movie uh, Mm -hmm. list. And that's in the wake of the Zundel trials, which means that we can't talk about it anymore. We can't really claim that make that claim. uh, So we'll just ban any discussion of it. Mm -hmm. Well, who gave these people the right to ban any discussion of things that can get you land land you in jail? This is outrageous, and and I'm saying that's why I said well you if, if Holocaust denial is a crime, then Holocaust lying has to be a crime as well, and that means that Blinken uh, if if someone can be sent to jail for uh, denying the Holocaust, then Blinken should be sent to jail for lying about it because that's what it is. I mean he got I, it, there's this kind of weird relationship with the man who committed adultery with his mother, and he really identifies with the man who. His stepfather, you never hear about his father, but he really identified with his stepfather because his stepfather knew how to play this game. And that's the game that you need to play if you're a Jew and you want to be successful. And his,
1: his infidelity was justified by the Holocaust.
2: Yeah, that's right. He said that. In Does the, he say he, that? Yeah. Exactly <laughs> that in his memoir. It'll justify anything, you know? And, and so he's uh, involved in something or other, uh, I think, with Greece. Uh, freeing political prisoners in Greece, and somebody questions—this is Pizar now—questions Pizar's credentials, and he rolls up his arm and points to the tattoo. I mean, it's—he—I I can't believe a man would be would be this blatant about something so obviously bogus. But that's what it is. He rolled up his arm; it's in his memoir, and and he's kind of proud of the fact that he could just pull this tattoo trick and get whatever he wants. Stop any discussion. That's the Holocaust narrative. It's rolling up your sleeve, pointing the tattoo, and stopping any discussion uh, of whether, uh,
1: why are we being subjected to this? Didn't he do that while playing ping pong with some German students or something? Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing. Well, that's a good, sort of the, uh, again, intimidating the Germans psychologically with that narrative. Of course, that's the whole German nation suffers under that, with the blood libel, you know.
2: That's exactly the situation the Germans are in. Yeah. Again, I've I probably have talked about this before, but the main man who was responsible for inflicting this on the German people was Joseph Ratzinger. I mean, Frings resisted it. Frings resisted the uh, the Morgenthau Plan. Frings resisted the obscenity, but then with the Second Vatican Council, now it became part of what it means to be a Catholic. Yeah. I, my, uh, we we were involved. Uh, Bob Sengenis uh, wrote an article for us years ago, two thousand nine, in which he's in the article he said that, that uh, the Catholic Catechism has an error, it, and it's, the error is the statement that the Mosaic Covenant is eternally valid. Well, he made his point, and after that, uh, the United States bishops took a vote, and they agreed with Bob Sengenis and told the bureaucrats to take it out, and the bureaucrats didn't do it. It was years before they did anything, and then they replaced it with another bogus statement. But if you get to the point now where you where we are in the Catholic Church, which is basically you have dual covenant theology as the de facto rule, even though it contradicts 2,000 years of scripture of, and tradition. If you press one of these uh, bureaucrats who's in charge of Catholic Jewish dialogue, how do we get this way the answer is simple it's the holocaust the holocaust has wrecked catholic theology because it has created dual covenant theology the church is no longer the new israel jews can be saved by following the mosaic covenant uh there is an exception to the rule that baptism is necessary for salvation we have to put a little footnote there again and it says unless you're a jew well this is not what is in the gospel if you read The Acts of the Apostles, Peter didn't know this when he went to Jerusalem. He walked into Jerusalem and he said to the Jews there, you killed Christ. Good opening line. And then they said, they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, you must be baptized. That is the teaching of the Catholic Church that is never going to change. So when people confront you with this Mosaic covenant, eternally valid, they're wrong. It's heretical. And the bishops admitted that. The bishops told the bureaucrats to do something and they didn't do it. And there's a whole other story to talk about there, about who's in, who's running the Catholic Church now. But that's another story.
1: Yeah, I think the difference is Bishop Franks didn't come of age in the post-war occupation, and of course Ratzinger did. And he was uh, psychologically um, sort of entrapped by that, I mean. The whole war guilt and the, the occupation, and he was incapable of um, liberating the German people the same way that that you know that uh, John Paul II Karwatia was liber- liberated the Polish people from communist you know That's right because the Polish people had never
2: internalized communism they retained their Catholic identity they knew they were conquered by the Soviets they didn't like it but they couldn't do anything about it. But Germany was different. And the Germans internalized the commands of their oppressors and they adopted the Holocaust narrative. You know, and it, it crippled the country. It it crippled them, destroyed them. It's, it's a long, complicated story that I deal with. And a, a lot of it involves the corruption of sexual morality that yeah. Jews are notorious for.
1: And that that, that goes with, with uh, Jewish control, this corruption of sexual morality. because that, That's the way they enslave you. you. Enslave you by giving what you think you want. What you want me immediately, what your appetites want. What, what that's, your appetites desire and what your reason tells you you shouldn't do. Yeah. yeah whether it's Las Vegas or Hollywood or porn, they, they build it and they, people come. And uh, then, Alan Dershowitz claiming
2: that the First Amendment covers uh, pornography like Deep Throat. Yeah. No, it doesn't. You, you should know enough about you. You're a law professor and you're saying that you're lying. You know, that is not the case. You want it to be the case because you're a Jew and you know that if you get allowed this type of thing, the Jews will uh, have power over the Goyim,
1: which he admitted the Jews having. He's, he he brags about Jewish control of Hollywood and the yeah. media. He and it's a good thing. He actually admits that yeah. along with <laughs> a lot of other Jews.
2: Don't I mean? be apologetic about the fact that you rule the world and could wreck any Goy's life uh, by calling him an anti-Semite. Be proud of that. This has gone too far. Mm-hmm. Too far, there's got to be a course correction. I think that we're seeing a time where there's going to be a course correction.
1: And well, I mean, the blunting of the Catholic Church, and again, you talk about Germany being um, conquered and not just you know militarily but psychologically, but you know, by the by the Holocaust narrative, you know, obviously aided by you know by allied military might, uh, is the ability that sort of the um, destruction of German identity and, and morals. And of course, that's that situation afflicts the entire Western world now. And the Jews again used the Holocaust narrative and the, the accusation of anti-Semitism to blunt any criticism and avoid any accountability. in the Catholic Church says so that's what, wasn't this the driving force between Catholic Church's Jewish, you know, the Catholic Jewish dialogue and no in the 1960s, where again the, the the Catholic Church was no longer able to um blunt or hold accountable Jewish power, and and, and because of that, they're unable to uh defend the moral order which is one of their which is her one of her primary missions on this planet is to defend the moral order to save souls and they can't because they are afraid of confronting the jews is that correct yeah Yeah. now we've got a new
2: new development that there's some book coming out where some guy got to look into the archives in the vatican and he discovered a letter that was sent to Pius the Twelfth, we don't know whether he actually read it or not. But in that letter, some Jesuit says that he he knows that there there were at this concentration camp that there were six thousand Jews were gassed in an oven. That's a direct quote from NBC, the NBC report: six thousand Jews were gassed in an oven.
1: Gassed in an oven. Now wait a minute. How do you? <laughs> You're, I think you're mixing store. I mean, I know the crematorium. The crematorium. First, first,
2: you're gassed in a gas chamber. Then the corpse is put in in an oven or a crematorium, and then they burn. The, but now we got six thousand Jews who were gassed in an oven. Well, I, I so I I tweeted something today. I said dove il their belief? Where's the letter? I'd really like to see this letter because I don't understand how you can gas six thousand Jews in an oven. But I mean, this is the type of thing. Yeah. This, these, this is what a narrative is. It writes itself. So whoever wrote this article for NBC or whatever it is, just has all these tropes in his or her mind, and they just spill out like automatic writing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you would, wait a second. It's a little sloppy here. <laughs> it's just like you'd have, you know, you'd have records and and. Uh, uh, mass graves and evidence of this and there simply isn't any it's like the um, what happened well we see this in other areas like once the narrative gets created like in Canada with the Cam Loops hoax where they claim that there are these mass graves of American Indians killed in these uh, Christian Catholic schools it turns out it was a complete lie but so I think billions of dollars of reparations were, were paid out and uh, there's a day of remembrance now on the Canadian calendar for this event that never occurred because some people are so willing to accept the narrative of you know evil white man, evil Christian, and noble savages, right? That's that fits the narrative. So it doesn't no one even holds them accountable anymore.
2: You know? Yeah. These are these are these are all you know corollaries of the master narrative, which is the Holocaust narrative.
1: And then you have the Pope uh apologizing for evangelizing
2: for something yeah. that didn't yeah. for something that didn't happen. Yeah. wearing an Indian headdress straight out of the Hollywood wardrobe room of the sort that never got worn in Canada by any Indian up there. It's too cold to wear that type of thing up there. But anyway, this is all theater. It makes some type of point. The Catholic Church is guilty again. And what what you create in, in the public mind is this vast assemblage of prejudices. That have no foundation in reality. You can once you try and trace them, uh, they all disappear because it's just fantasies that were created by the media to to create a, a world in which uh, you know you will be punished if you say the wrong thing. It's like John Maynard Keynes said: every politician spouts off thing ideas that he got from a defunct economist, and that's pretty much what we're talking about. You you just have these ideas they kind of write themselves as when you say, you know, 6,000 Jews were gassed in an oven.
1: Yeah, and then you get like something like the narrative of Ken Burns's recent documentary on the Holocaust in the, in the United States where he actually blames the United States for the Holocaust.
2: Um, no, Ken, it's the Catholic Church that's the, the blame for the Holocaust. Why are you blaming the United States? That was the whole point. This, this is exactly, exactly goes back to the theological issue that Bob St. Genesis brought up. So there are now theologians who say
1: supersessionism led to the Holocaust. So Christianity or Catholicism in particular led to the Holocaust.
2: That's right. So what basically, if you say that um, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, that there's no salvation outside the church that you have to be baptized in order to be saved that the church is the new israel that the the jewish people when they lost the temple have no priesthood no if you say any of these things you're you're ready to put six thousand jews
1: and gas them in an oven that, that... wasn't that the impetus uh, for nostra Aetate in the 60s there was that jewish was it a rabbi who went to the vatican Jules it, Isaac, yeah. yeah. He, he actually went, made, made that claim, right? He said that Christianity led to the Holocaust.
2: That's right. And he cited the so-called teaching of contempt. And the teaching of contempt is basically, uh, you know, the, the Gospel of St. John, uh, where he uses the word Jew 71 times, the writings of St. John Chrysostom, Adversos Judeos, the writings of St. Augustine. You know, there's a long, basically, history of Catholics writing about the fact that there is a new religion now and it's not the Jewish religion.
1: This well, is isn't not that the logic of the uh, of the incarnation? You would think so. I mean, uh, you were chosen for a particular mission. Missions done now, now you have to accept Christ. And they don't. And That's if
2: you The meaning of the parable of the wicked husbandman. In other words, these people are leasing a vineyard. The vineyard is the kingdom. Uh and the the uh, master decides that he wants his vineyard back, and he sends the messenger, and they kill the messenger. Well, they're the prophets. And then he thinks, "Well, I'll send my son," and they kill the son. Well, that's Jesus Christ. And then the the master finally comes and tears down the vineyard. That's that whole old covenant just gets torn down. You killed Christ, and and you 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 lost your status as God's chosen people when you did that you can still be saved there's no th- curse on you you can still be saved you know sarah silverman can be saved ben shapiro can be saved in spite of what you know bishop Barron said but the the criterion is now you have to accept baptism like everyone else like the gentiles there you have no privilege anymore simply because of your uh mosaic covenant or as the in the Gospel of St. John because of your DNA, because they were the first racist claiming that they had were special because they were the seed of Abraham. That's all gone. That doesn't mean you can't be saved, but now you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Now, to say that, if you say that, then you are basically sending 6,000 Jews to be gassed in an
1: oven. That's- but you also forced to deny the uh, purpose of... You're supposed to witness for your faith and and encourage conversion. And if and so you're you're either guilty of genocide or you're 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 forced to deny your faith. So it's inherently anti anti Christian, anti Catholic. I think that this
2: comes from Jewish guilt, and I think that's one of the driving forces behind the, the Holocaust narrative. The Jews lost their ability to expiate guilt when the temple was destroyed. And so they've had 2,000 years of practice of basically projecting it onto other people, especially the victim. And the victim in this regard was in many ways the German people, suffered enormously uh, as a result of World War II, much more, I would say, than any of the people who were in concentration camps. Uh, 11 million Germans died. Uh, they were expelled from countries. That, it, it's one horror story after another. I document many of them. In yeah, the hundred
1: and, and a million or so actually really did go up in flames. Well, if you
2: if you in want cities,
1: to the holocaust,
2: yeah, you know? uh, check out uh, the
1: fire bombing of Dresden or Hamburg. Yeah,
2: or Hamburg, and then of course know, or, they dropped um, two atomic bombs on Japan, mm-hmm. and that was a holocaust as well. So I think that what you have is competing guilt here. The Allies were guilty of war crimes. The Jews have been trying to project guilt for 2,000 years now, and they came together at the Nuremberg trials. 70% of the lawyers were Jews seeking revenge. And I'm saying at, at that point in human history, the adults had to come in and say, we are not going to make Semitic vengeance the cornerstone of American foreign policy. And they kicked Morgenthau out and got rid of the Morgenthau plan. And I'm saying we are in exactly the same situation right now, where the Jews have hijacked our foreign policy. And I think you're getting a protest from the WASP elite who are going to have to reassert themselves and say, no, we can't let these Jews run our foreign policy because they're heading toward a nuclear confrontation with Russia based on Jewish Semitic animus against the Russians.
1: Yeah, and, the, and you mentioned the Biden administration and the State Department under Anthony Blinken is also being controlled by Jews with, you know, obviously with, um, with, um, what's her name? Kagan's wife. Yeah, Victoria She Victoria Newland, And then you have these various, I was just reading an article written by, um, it was uh, Eric, what's his name? Uh he was named Eric Stryker. Uh, he was at the National Justice website about the various ambassadors, the, these Jewish ambassadors uh, that are pushing you know, LGBTQ in, in the various countries well, that they're stationed
2: in. in. Japan,
1: yeah. David Pressman in Hungary, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it came out that there was a Jewish ambassador in France
2: that was looking he's to. He's uh, not a Jew, but uh, he was. He was a homosexual, and he's the one who put the rainbow yeah. flag around the Berlin Bear. They not to promote didn't, the agenda,
1: uh, the Jewish agenda, even yeah. if are not Jewish. Didn't Blinken say everywhere he goes, he talks about gay rights or something? <laughs> it's constantly on his mind when he meets with people from these from countries.
2: Yeah. So we, we need to get rid of uh, Mr. Blinken. I think the CIA is trying to get rid of him, and uh, the, the, the you have to get rid of Biden. The problem, they're confronted with a bind there because it looks as if the, if they get rid of Biden, the Trump will be reelected. Well,
1: yeah, according to you know, Colonel McGregor, it's these neocons that came from the peril of the settlement that are doing this that are prosecuting this.
2: I think we have to bring again, bring this back to <laughs> the ethnic reality. Colonel Gregor and I grew up in Philadelphia. He went to Penn Charter, which was the WASP school. Mm-hmm. I went to LaSalle High School, which was the Catholic prep school. And Benjamin Netanyahu was in Cheltenham High School. And that we're, we're, we're talking about a radius of maybe five miles. All of us there at the same time. And I'm trying to say that this ethnic identity has never gone away. And I'm saying that the Wasp... Well, McGregor, what, what do you hear when you hear McGregor being interviewed by Tucker Carlson? It's the old Wasp elite. Tucker Carlson is an Episcopalian. His father was in the CIA. I'm sure Car- Colonel McGregor went to Penn Charter. That was the Wasp Elite School in Philadelphia. And I'm sure they both speak for constituencies. I think that, you know, Tucker Carlson probably speaks for the same constituency that David Ignatius speaks for, no matter what their politics are. And I think that uh, Colonel McGregor has a, speaks for a constituency in the military that is very unhappy about the what happens, what is happening in the Ukraine?
1: Yeah, the same way that Tucker Carlson goes to Hungary and talks about you can't run an empire pushing boutique sexual deviant practices supported by a very small group. And who is that group, right?
2: Yeah, there's a there's a, there's a slightly sinister aspect to this because he he went to Argentina to interview this guy Millet. Yes real CIA candidate. That sounds like real CIA operation here when you're starting to... He's a a sleazy guy. We're going to do an article on him written by somebody from Argentina who knows him. Uh, He's the the
1: one that's endorsing capitalism or something versus socialism.
2: He's like Oklahoma. He's anti-abortion pro-Zionist. This is is kind of like the neocon... This is the Ben Shapiro position. The Ben Shapiro school of uh, politics. And apparently this is what you have to be now in order to be considered a conservative.
1: Well, that's that contradiction, which could have controlled right, controlled left. Yeah, so it's, you know, Jewish capitalism or Jewish socialism. Either way, the Jews are in control, right? That's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. And so how how
2: do we back out of what is a really bad situation? That's That's the question. And I think that, uh, as I said, I think that David Ignatius's article is a straw in the wind. That the guy, if you're if you're going after Biden, you're really going after Biden's minion. Biden can't figure how to get out of a press conference without getting lost.
1: He's not. No, see a press conference in uh, Vietnam where he's they cut him off and they the jazz music kicks in. It's like the end of the Mike Douglas show from the seventies or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. Show's over. Music <laughs> plays. It's like, what's going on here? It's like, <laughs> well, it was like, it was, well, it was like a late night or a daytime talk show from the seventies. It was like, what? what the, the music kicks in. And this press cross was over We're out of time. Sorry, folks. Go to a commercial break. You <laughs> <a> commercial break. <laughs> well, Doctor Jones, I said ahead for, for an hour. I think we covered it, right? I think we have. Yeah. So okay. So the article. In this month's Culture Wars September edition, Culture Wars is um the Blinken is a Holocaust liar, and of course, the book The Holocaust Narrative just came out. Uh, go to uh, uh culturewars.com or fidelitypress.org. Is that the other website? Right, they're available at both of those sites. Order it, and um, good news is uh. Sales are very good. You're struggling to keep up with them. The if bad news is that may delay you getting it. But either way, order it. So
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm saying if you're thinking of buying the book, buy it sooner rather than later because we're really selling. Their 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 copies are flying out of here right now. Well, okay. It's simply because the time has come to address this issue in the public forum. What's left of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And so this will definitely be discussed at the White House at the. uh that's right the conference on combating combating anti-semitism which again to them their definition is simply criticism or holding them accountable for their behavior so that's right so well dr jones thank you for coming back on the show
2: thank you for having me tim
1: it's always a pleasure pleasure having you on i'll release this soon and you'll send me the link and uh enjoy the fall weather thank you